what is different about AI is software is deterministic in nature. At, at, its, at its core, you're talking about algorithms being executed in ways that we expect. And so the failures or the successes are all deterministic and validation is pretty straightforward there. AI is not. AI is statistical. And in fact, with how large the AI models and databases are growing, while we know the technology under AI and how it works, we actually cannot quite, uh, nobody can predict the outcome of AI given new data. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. In the world of medical devices, time is usually of the essence. But here's the problem. Traditional product development processes are usually as slow as molasses. They cause delays and they're headaches for companies like yours. Greenlight Guru is the ultimate solution for medtech's biggest challenge. You may be facing lengthy development cycles that drain your resources and hinder progress, but we streamline the entire product development journey. We make it faster, we make it more efficient and less prone to hiccups. By centralizing your data management, automating your workflows, and allowing real-time collaboration. It's all here. It's designed to propel your projects forward. And guess what? Regulatory compliance is built right in. It reduces the risk of costly revisions and ensuring you stay on track. With Greenlight Guru, you're not just developing products, you're accelerating progress, making a difference when it matters most. Don't let inefficiency hold you back. Embrace innovation with Greenlight Guru. Go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. Everybody, welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. With me today to talk about a lot of things associated with AI is Ashkan Rasuli. Ashkan, how are you doing today? Doing good, Tian. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. We haven't seen each other in person since 2022, but that's going to change in about two weeks. We'll be at MDM West. So, if those of you listening, we're going to try to get this thing turned around very quickly. So, February 6th through the 8th, we'll be at MDM West. So, if you want to stop by and and say hi. Ashkan and I should both be there. We're going to be presenting on the same topic. Okay. Give you a quick introduction. Ashkan is an expert in quality management systems and software in general, and with a unique focus on AI. And I'll let you speak a little bit to that and, and how some of these interests developed, Ashkan. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually am a graduate of UCI. I got my uh, master's in biomedical engineering, but I was always very interested in computer science. In fact, I started out with a computer science major. And so what really happened is I ended up at the intersection of biomedical engineering and software development. In fact, my master's thesis was in the realm of signal processing of extracortical neuronal recordings to detect action potentials. And from there, I just ended up very much focusing on medical devices in general but more on the specialty of SAMD, SIMD. And for those that don't know SAMD software as a medical device, SIMD is software in a medical device. I've worked on capital equipment that had software built in, but also focused on products that were software only, qualified as a medical device. Within that realm, I was fortunate enough to experience a variety of roles, which gave me a pretty good 360 view of the product development process. Product management, I've actually done algorithm development, testing, but most of my focus has been on quality management system. And what I like about it is end-to-end, -end, it encompasses all of the activities that go into the launch, development launch, and then maintaining of a, a medical device product. But having had a software focus, I have to keep up with the latest trends. 
AI is at the forefront of everyone's mind now. It got there even more last year after ChatGPT had launched and there was like that firsthand experience of the average consumer of what AI could do now with all of the latest advances. As is with medical technology, there's always going to be a lag in adoption of technology and sometimes for a good reason. So medical technology and healthcare is now in the process of adopting AI and finding applications for AI. And that's what I'm focusing on within my realm of quality management system, how AI-enabled products, AI in healthcare can be managed from a quality standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint. Okay. Very cool. One of the things I'm curious about, I guess before I get into some of the questions, uh, I think that's a really good point that you made as far as being involved in the end-to-end. You get to you get a taste of every little aspect when you're involved in that at, from that perspective. We could talk yeah. about... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's the thing I love about quality management system. It's very cross-functional as a role, but also you get a really good view of what has to happen in a medical device manufacturing company, starting with R&D, the ideation, the voice of customer, all the way to testing, product launch, deployment of a software product, for example, and then the post-market surveillance of that, continuous change. Then there's advertising, promotion, labeling, sales process, the installation, the fulfillment process. All of that has to be within the quality management system. And it does not have that tiny piece of the bigger pie feel to it. It does not have that uh, cog in the wheel feel to it. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I like that explanation as well. One other thing you're working on, I know it's a little bit early and new, but uh, you're working with uh, or will be working with a group that plans to submit an AI. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so there's a healthcare collaborative group, which is an AfterApps. And AfterApps is a group of regulators and industry experts that focuses on developing new regulatory frameworks for emerging technologies and other matters. But this particular um, healthcare collaborative has uh, three working teams, one of which is focusing on good machine learning practices. And they've been around for years. I just happen to have been introduced to them recently. And every year, this group, the efforts of the group culminates in a white paper that is meant to be shared publicly, it's free, and it is supposed to initiate the conversation on how do we regulate these new technologies, what are good manufacturing practices, that kind of stuff. For 2024, the particular topic is going to be doing a mock submission to the FDA for an AI-enabled product. With advent of AI and its increased adoption in medical devices, there is general interest and a lot of question around what does the FDA want to see? What is adequate quality control? What is adequate for a pre-market submission, but even after that post-market? The focus of this group is by the end of 2024 to have a mock submission. We at this point, plan to actually have like immediate input from FDA stakeholders, which happened in the past. We, there's been um, FDA engagement in that directly. This is meant to be, be more of a concrete example of what an AI-enabled product's submission is going to look like. Very cool. Okay, maybe we should go ahead and get into what we're going to be talking about today. So I'd like to talk about some of the strengths and limitations of AI. And we can really what I'd like to talk about are some of the AI-enabled devices but also particularly operations, because that's 
I think that's the the most wide-reaching application for a lot of med- medical device professionals is how can I use this operationally? Maybe I don't have an AI device, but maybe how can I use this operationally? So I don't know where you want to start, but, but I threw a lot out there for a second. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be important in discussing AI to make sure we're all aligned on just the basic fundamentals of AI's architecture, how AI works. The I, it makes it seem scarier than it actually is. We call it artificial intelligence, and we project human intelligence onto it, which creates a lot of fear, angst around what is this going to be? Is this going to anything from take away jobs to take over the world and destroy humanity? It is therefore, on my end, when I'm faced with fear, I feel more comfortable running into the dark and getting information and understanding the unknown I'm afraid of more. And in light of that, I'd like to make sure we're aligned on a baseline of how AI works. But then once we understand that the strengths and limitations of AI will be clear, we can actually talk about how that applies in healthcare. So AI is basically a statistical machine. Very simply put, obviously there's a lot of technical detail that go into this. At the end of the day, modern day AIs that we talk about are in the machine learning algorithm category subset to which would be neural networks, deep neural networks, and then the large language models. They are decision machines or generation machines that purely run on statistics and they learn from data. This could be data that is a one-time set that is provided to them, where statistically it tries to learn the relationship between the inputs and the outputs. It could be continuous data that is fed to it, where it keeps updating its relationship we call that model and the model is really a parametric mathematical description of the relationship between the input and the output keeps updating its parameters based on data that keeps coming in data sets could be small could be large ais could be targeted as small tasks big tasks for example you can have in years before we had what was called like narrow machine learning algorithms or narrow ai which was for example focused on the particular task of detecting objects in an image. What's happening now in the latest wave of AI is you're having a lot more general AI, which is these models that can do far more than tasks within one domain. And so that's what, for example, ChatGPT is an example of. It is a single model, but you can ask it questions in politics and arts in a lot of different areas. The model is so big that it works. The reason it's important that we understand this about AI is because that also then tells us the strengths and the limitations of AI. So when we talked about strengths, we talked about how it can sift through mountains of data and identify patterns that humans cannot. This will be great anywhere you have enough data, good quality data that is not biased, when you have repetitive tasks that you want AI to do. Basically, the data you've collected in the past will be enough representative of future. So any task that is repetitive that you don't expect to significantly change, AI would be great at that. But you also need to have enough data for it. One of the limitations of AI, though, is again within that data. In fact, a lot of the applications AI is not able to be used for because there's a lack of data or because of lack of unbiased comprehensive data. So the limitation of AI, if not designed well, AI could actually start integrating biases of the data into its decision-making. And there are many examples of that outside healthcare. When they translate to healthcare, their stakes are higher. 
there was an example of uh, an Amazon recruiting uh, AI tool that they had implemented. There was a huge backlash because the data the AI was trained on for the role of software engineer, historically, the applicant pool was very male dominated. What the AI had learned because of that training was that for the position of software engineering, being male is an advantage and going to an all-female college is a disadvantage. And when that program was put in use, not related to merit, it was using those two factors to deprioritize female applicants. So it is important that as we create AI models and train them with data, that we watch out for these correlations that we can identify in advance and make sure that those are not parameters, biases that are built into that. There was another example where the Department of Justice was trying to predict recidivism of in, in trial people. This was for probables and that kind of stuff. And there was a correlation uh, that AI had identified in the training data with race based on past data. African Americans and brown individuals were predicted at a higher likelihood of recidivism, even though on a case-by-case basis, that should be basically an independent factor. So these are just examples of how AI has limitations related to data. That's a really good point. Those are interesting statistics that they have. Do you have any specific to medical device? Because I can, when I think about medical device and the potential for biased data, my mind for some reason immediately goes to clinical investigations, for example, where you want a a broad pool to make sure, depending on the indication for use, obviously if it's specifically for men's health or specifically for women's health, you don't need to diversify uh, across gender. But there are lots of places where uh, the pulse oximeter, for example, based on the color of skin may have incorrect readings. I think of that one. Any other thoughts as far as a, a potential um, bias that you could, or, or an example we could pull from healthcare? Yeah, no, 100%. So, what happens with AI, this is a general statement and I'll talk about specifics, is often it amplifies the biases of the data or the programmers. Uh, programmers define the model, the data fine tunes the parameters. Either yeah. one of those can be a source of bias. One uh, example is if you are detecting uh, skin anomalies uh, to detect uh, skin cancer and skin lesions. It is true that there's a strong correlation between the skin color and skin cancer. Lighter skin is more prone to skin cancer than darker skin. When you feed that data, real-world data, to AI, though, it will not know the difference between correlation and causation. It will therefore actively deprioritize darker skin in detection of skin cancer. And so what it's going to do is going to have higher false negatives on darker skin than it should because of that. And so that's an example of being aware of the difference between correlation and causation. This is, by the way, not a new concept with AI in designing clinical studies. We've always had to understand what could be a, conf- a co-founding factor and control for those and make sure that we have, in let's say, the control arm of the study and in the active arm of the study representations. And we've also, in the statistical analysis, we've actually done controls for those uh, possible co-founding factors. 
it's no different than designing AI models that feed in the data in that you got to identify those in advance and make sure that your results are normalized by that so you don't introduce biases because of that. The not being able to differentiate between correlating and causation, I thought was a really good point. Is that is it safe to say that is a general statement about most AIs, if not all AIs, is that it cannot detect the correlation versus causation, or is there a way to train for that ability? Yeah, so I'm speaking very at a high level. Clearly, the modern AI algorithms that have teams of engineers behind them typically employ hybrid approaches. They employ multiple levels of AI algorithms. There are non-statistical methods in addition to the statistical nature of the AI specifically to control for that. For example, if you go to ChatGPT and type in things that you shouldn't be typing, like sensitive topics or hate speech or something like that, it will tell you that I am not allowed to talk about this. It is not because the data it was trained on did not have hate speech in it. It did. It very much did. But there is controls explicitly imposed on the output of the AI to not go there. Similarly, when it comes to biases, it is something that can be managed at the model level and at the data level, it just further highlights the risk here and the need for design controls upfront. Because some of these are not going to be things you'll be able to catch once the product is out there. Some you cannot, particularly with AI, the impact's really huge. So we're talking about before you catch it, the impact has already impacted quite a number of individuals. Because of that, the need for upfront design review of the data, of the model, is of greater scale importance. Yeah. You mentioned design in there, and I know we're talking not specifically about AI for a medical device, but just in general, I think that's a really good phrase or, or methodology to apply. And then one other thing, because like you said, some things you can foresee, some things not. When I think about example of hate speech, the reasonable foreseeable or reasonably foreseeable misuse Tying that to design controls, I think when you're when we're building these or applying these, some things you see mis someone misusing, but some things you can, and those are the things we have to control for. So that's good. Absolutely. So like when you think of AI-enabled devices, the general design control concepts that apply across all devices, and then specifically SAMD and SAMD, continue to apply. It's just for AI specifically when you look at concrete technical approaches, there's more in addition to that. So that's got to be your baseline anyways. Let's talk about some of the different devices that are out there. Do you have some examples or things we can learn from some of these different examples? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm specifically interested in AI applications in Healthcare and even more specifically medical devices. And when I think of medical devices, I go back to the FDA definition. It is a device if it does prevent, mitigate, treat, cure. And so basically, diagnosis is the one I missed. I'm like, there's one I'm missing. <laughs> prevent, diagnose, treat, mitigate, and cure. And there is potential application for AI in all of those areas. But not surprisingly, we're seeing more activity in the lower risk areas, which would be the prevent and the diagnose. So there's heavy activity happening right now in the prevention. And in fact, a lot of devices in this prevent category are in between prevention and wellness. 
And so some of them have actual prevention claims, but a lot of them actually don't have a labeling claim that puts them in the medical device category. But really what is happening is AI is being used to promote living well with certain diseases or just living well in general. So there are examples of companies that are using, there was a recent launch announced by a company called January AI. They are using a real CGM, a one-time CGM use to train the AI algorithm on how your body uh, responds to different stimuli in terms of glucose. So different foods, exercise. After that training is done, you don't have to wear a CGM anymore. The AI will predict how different foods are going to impact and Based on that, give you coaching on how to manage your blood glucose level. Again, this is not meant to be preventing anything or in the diabetes space for diabetic patients as a part of their actual treatment. It is meant to just help healthy individuals live well through understanding their glucose management. There are other companies. There is a company called Unique. They tailor meal plans based on your specific health conditions. So you give it whatever health conditions you have. And it's more than just low fat, low carb is anything like I have diabetes, cardiac issues. I have anemia, anything like that, where I need like high iron and that kind of stuff. And based on your particular condition, it actually tailors a meal plan for you. And then there's a few other companies that are focusing on sleep. There's Whoop, which is a wearable. And there is a company called Eight Sleep, which is a sheet you put on your uh, mattress, like a mattress protector, and it uh, maintains, uh, it identifies what your optimal temperature for each person on each side is, and it tries to maintain that temperature to give you maximum sleep quality. These are all examples of a bigger movement that is happening. What's happening is there is a lot of uh, patient interest in owning health outcomes. And in addition to that, there's a lot of access to these new digital health products, And I say digital health to differentiate from medical device. They are health oriented, but they're not necessarily uh, fitting the definition of a medical device. And so you've got access to a sea of data, your Apple watches, all of these different wearables that are coming out there. Um, They're widely available to the average consumer. People are interested in taking ownership of their health, live longer, prevent diseases, delay onset of diseases. And they are very much seeking knowledge about their health. And so as a part of this movement, it is given the amount of data that is being generated and people are interested in generating and controlling, this is actually ripe for different applications of machine learning and AI, because remember, that's the bread and butter of AI. Yeah, no, that's good. Those are great examples, too. And I've when I've looked at some of the, I guess, the AI list from FDA, it seems like radiology for the actual devices that are considered medical devices that have been cleared, they all seem to, not all, I guess I shouldn't use that word, but a lot of them are radiology. And I, I'm curious how that will expand. I'm really curious to follow your journey as you guys go through a mock to see what kind of device you guys submit. But you were going to say something? Yeah, no, 100%. So everything I just talked about in terms of these devices and the prevention, for the most part, if they're in the wellness category, there wouldn't be an FDA clearance. But what you're talking about is the FDA released list of cleared devices. So these would have been devices that already were determined to need a 510K and so class two devices, right? And those would fall mostly in the diagnose category. And you are correct. The top three fields uh, that have seen uh, FDA clearances of AI-enabled devices have been radiology, cardiology, and uh, neurology. Now, radiology by far 
uh, that just dominated the field. About 87%, I believe, was the number of uh, clearances that were done. And this was, as of the date that report was released, this was by July 30th, 2023. There's obviously been a lot more activity since then, six more months of activity since then. That balance hasn't quite changed, though. The radiology continues to dominate this. And again, I think go back to the trend I mentioned about earlier, which is we're going to see adoption start with the low risk, lower risk applications of AI first. So in radiology, cardiology, and neurology, this is in the mostly diagnostic category. And even at that, it is not autonomous diagnosis. It is heavily as a clinician aid. So radiology is ripe for that because depending on what it is you're looking for in a radiological image, it can help a physician highlight different anomalies within the image. There are examples of helping manage stroke treatments, and but again, as a clinician assistance, there are examples of identifying different within the orthopedic field, bone fractures and that kind of stuff. It's just radiology is one of those fields where paired with clinician assistance, the risk of AI failure is still pretty manageable. You'll see the same application of AI in cardiology and neurology. Again, so cardiology, for example, is detection of things like atrial fibrillation. Neurology is detection of things like epilepsy and seizures in, in the EEG signals. Again, it is assisted, basically, it's an assistance to a clinician. So it's supervised by a clinician. It is not basically relied upon entirely for the diagnosis, which means that the AI failure is not going to translate to a complete misdiagnosis, right? The AI failure just means that the physician will have to overwrite the AI. And I guess a lot of the companies, like you said, are, that are starting in this more wellness category or broader intended use gives them the opportunity to expand into a specific indication for use. It should to do that later on. I guess is that the thinking in your mind? Yeah, I think a uh, viable approach that the industry has found is some of these technologies, they could have a market with less impactful or regulated, for that matter, indications and labeling. And so the same device could be sold in the wellness space and still be a viable product and have a revenue stream while figuring out the kinks of the technology, while building the R&D team and basically perfecting that product market fit, which then allows for beefing up the labeling to what is more regulated, for example, prevention, treatment, diagnosis. This allows to mitigate the risk of directly going to a market with a technology that doesn't still have final product market fit, but also having to handle all the regulations around medical devices. Now, this does not necessarily apply to all technologies and all applications. Some have to go straight through a 510k clearance, and that's what we're seeing, for example, in the radiology, cardiology fields. But some of those other fields, we see that, for example, we talked about diabetes and glucose management. You can start deploying the technology in a lower risk application, lower risk population with labeling that does not make you a medical device. Improve upon that technology. And once you've decided you're pretty established, then decide you're ready to take it to the next level and say, okay, this can actually clinically be validated to have some sort of a medical impact in terms of prevention, diagnosis, mitigation, and 
open up those markets because obviously there are some other markets for which you absolutely have to have FDA clearance and there are some revenue streams for which FDA clearance is a necessity. Yeah. And and I'll just throw out an example that I just popped into my head. Uh, you mentioned the whoop strap, I, I think, when you were talking about some of those wellness devices. And they have such a large amount of data. They're an interesting story. Those of you, if you're not familiar, the whoop strap, it, it looks like a watch doesn't show any time, but it just detects, I think, heart rate, uh, maybe res- respiratory rate, and uh, possibly others. I'm not sure at the moment, but definitely those two. And one of the things they found was during 2020 and during the pandemic, that they started seeing anomalies with people before they reported COVID. So they they aren't claiming that they can detect COVID before symptoms arise, but they have found a correlation. Let's go back to that word. And so that's been interesting. They have a couple articles on their their, uh, website. They say, we do not predict COVID, but you can leverage the data. And there seems to be some correlation here. And so it feels like maybe a, a little edge into that category, like you're saying. 100%. 100%. There's a lot of exciting things happening here. There was a company I worked at where they had a wearable and in a partnership with another company. So this is wearable monitored cardiac signals. And in partnership with another company, there was a study in which they were able to predict 10 days in advance cardiac arrest. And granted, this was a very small study, small sample size. It needed sure. to be going through a lot more development and studying before it becomes actually a commercially viable application. But the implications for patients is huge. If you can, our current practice of medicine, our current standard of care is you have a heart attack when you feel it and call 911 and hopefully you make it. Yeah. But imagine 10 days before you identify the decline in your cardiac activity and predict that something needs to happen. It could be calcification that's exceeding a certain threshold, whatever it is, or your heart is just deteriorating. And that kind of intervention has a huge impact on your health outcomes versus just what we do today. Yeah, that's a really good use case. Okay, we've been talking about this for a little bit. I wonder if you have any examples or thoughts on AI in operations, because like I said, some people may not be, maybe they're not going to be working on an AI uh, medical device anytime soon, but they potentially could be leveraging AI for whatever device they're using. So I have a couple of potential examples in my mind, but I wanted to see what you thought and what you have. Yeah. So when you think of operations, I'm thinking of anything outside of the actual medical device itself around the process of developing the medical device. And actually, I think this is an area where we're already seeing quite a bit of activity. And because it is not in the medical device itself, uh, subject to the same level of controls, it might even be a lot faster than the adoption within the medical devices themselves. And the applications range um, from the manufacturing lines themselves, where you can use AI to predict uh, when equipment on the manufacturing line needs maintenance. There are machine vision applications for quality control where instead of an operator doing inspection, machines can do the inspection of devices for you. There are potential to create what are called digital twins where you create simulations and you do tweaks within those simulations and decide how you can optimize your manufacturing line. All the way to Clinical trials themselves, for example, recruitment is typically a lengthy process for clinical trials. And the process of matching the study inclusion exclusion criteria with uh, potential subjects itself could be streamlined by AI. Record keeping, there's plenty of records. You got to keep an entire trial master file in a clinical study. Record keeping can be assisted by AI. 
Other applications in the fields of regulatory compliance or post-market surveillance, scanning the mod databases, risk management, even if you're doing prospective risk management before launch, you can, let's say if you have a product that's been uh, built on based on a predicate, you can identify the risks through AI, basically scanning uh, the mod database or other risks out there. Clinical evaluations, all of that could be done, not done completely, obviously. It, ultimately, there's a human clinician with uh, criteria responsible for it, making the final judgment on those. But this is also another area where AI can be a tool to streamline the gathering of the data, which go into the ultimate, basically, risk-benefit analysis. I can't help but jump on that because... Greenlight Guru actually has a risk tool that they've built with AI where they can, like you said, scan the mod database and a few other different sources and help use help establish a baseline for risk items using Bayesian statistics to determine, okay, this is the likelihood, this is the severity of specific harms occurring if you have a device that has a similar product code, for example, or is in this family. Clinical evaluation. I think I can think of a couple different companies. One comes to mind, Nested Knowledge, I think, where they work that clinical evaluation reporting and have a lot of AI injected into their softwares. And and maybe from a user standpoint, yeah, I don't always need to know how the tools work, but what about how to evaluate them and choosing those tools? So this is actually the tricky part of this because there's a, a huge explosion of this now. With medical devices, it might be easier, especially the ones that are in the classic category. The FDA clearance itself is already a bar that narrows it down, and then it comes down to does it doesn't meet my applications. That's a lot easier. But when it comes to AI and operations, um, the really, as far as I know, isn't a good way to find the right AI tool for you. I think it really is a matter of understanding your own journey on a day to day basis and seeing where AI can fit it within that. Um, again, I think the rule of thumb is there a task that is repetitive where past data is representative of future data you don't expect a monumental shift when i say that i always think of stock market predictions there's a ton of ai in fintech now happening people to make a lot of money in the stock market using ai and classic challenge with automated trading algorithms in the stock market has been the past doesn't predict the future right it is you can have algorithms that when run on retrospective data will perform amazing for the past 50 years. And that exact same algorithm will fail miserably in the next year. Yeah. And the, the reason is that's just not predictive. So I think really in terms of, I think your question is how do we pick the right AI tool? The first question is what is it you want to automate? And what is a good candidate for automation, basically, given AI strengths and limitations? And then it's a matter of then evaluating whether the tools fit within your workflow. Yeah. And what immediately came to mind when you started talking about that, choosing the AI tool, is I was thinking about verification and validation. So sometimes not be able to verify the inner workings of the device or an AI, it feels especially potentially so, but you can always qualify the outcome. So if you're going to be reading and approving, fully qualifying the outcome seems like a maybe an easier choice than if you are simply letting whatever it produces out into the wild, that would be more of a, you really need to understand the inner workings. Would you agree or, or tweak that at all? Yeah, 100%. I had a non-medical device experience with uh, recently I spoke to that, uh, where it, it basically highlighted that AI is not good at 
generating devices or products that meet certain design inputs. It could, however, be used in verification of whether some output meets the, the input. It's actually a lot more powerful than that. I was just trying to generate an image. I was trying to generate a LinkedIn profile image using ChatGPT, which is integrated into Dolly, so they generate images. And it was interesting because I would ask it to include my handle in the image that it generated. And for the life of it, it could not. It kept getting it misspelled. But what was interesting is I then typed, repeat this until you get it right. And what that does is prompts the AI to go back, look at its latest output and see if it meets the inputs that I gave it, right? So the input was include this exact handle in the image. And it correctly, every time identified that it failed. So it would keep saying, okay, this last thing I did doesn't meet your requirements. I'm going to try again. And then it would just identify it and it would fail over and over again. And finally gave up. There's a maximum number of tries that it does. But it highlighted how Speaking of limitations in AI, generating something that meets the inputs, again, it's looking at statistically at what it's trained on. So its database, despite being huge, did not have images with my exact handle in it. And so it was failing miserably. But it was able to take that image as an input and verify whether it did have that text in it. And it did a great job at that. Yeah, that makes sense. What about AI at point of care? Are there any specific things to think about from a healthcare technician, whether it's a radiologist or a physician. Interesting that you mentioned radiology. I don't mean to go to violate HIPAA on myself too far, but this week my wife has gotten tired of me creaking and groaning. So she sent me to a, a couple surgeons and just because of a lot of, of a poor choices in lifestyle, I am going to be having surgery on both ankles and my wrist. And so I've been seeing a lot of x-rays lately. That's been really fun. And so, so I just love that it has infiltrated the radiology, but what about point of care for both the user that radiologist, but maybe also the patients themselves. Yeah, 100%. So there's a lot of data to be processed in the point of care and a lot of repetitive tasks. And because of that, actually, there's a lot of applications for AI at point of care, which different companies are working on. The primary challenge with point of care is a challenge we've had with software as a medical device in general for decades, which is we have fragmented databases that are not connected. And in order for these algorithms to achieve their full potential, they need a central uh, repository for each patient of all their medical history and data. And for a lot of these applications, that is not there. Having said that, even with our current system, there's still plenty of opportunity. So clinical documentation is a quick one. Companies are focusing on that. AI to help clinicians document patients' clinical data but also then on the patient side, understanding a doctor's notes yes. in and of itself, just interpret that for the patient. This has been in the form of just plugins built into the EHRs themselves, the Epics and Cerners of the world as examples, or chatbots. Just imagine a healthcare trained version of a chatbot that looks at your charts and also has been trained of the body of knowledge of the medical field. And then it gives you basically advices. It does basically fit into autonomous practice of medicine at that point. And so it would have to be in a situation where your physician or someone in the physician's office can monitor and ensure the accuracy, basically, of the responses that are given in the chatbot. But still, it can optimize that workflow quite a bit, also because 
Speaking of repetitive tasks, chances are 80%, 90% of the questions that come into, let's say, a cardiology office fit within a predefined set of these are the top 10 questions that people ask, certain symptoms, certain meal restrictions, that kind of stuff. Really good. Yeah, there's a lot happening there. Yeah. What have we missed? Is there anything else that, and I encourage those of you listening, if you're going to be in the California area, check out Ashcon. He's doing a lot of fun things, and uh, I'm excited to hear presentation at MDNM West. But what, what are some other things on your mind or last pieces of advice or thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, no, I think I, I would just say AI is a statistical machine with huge power to analyze very large amounts of data. We're talking about GPT-4, which is the latest model of ChatGPT commercialized. This was trained on a petabyte of data that's like two to the power of 50 bytes of data, right? So wow. we're talking about a lot of data. So nobody, nobody, no individual human being or institution for that matter has been able to do that. And so there's a lot of potential here. It is extremely important that we also understand that it will fail. It has failed and it will fail just as a, any statistical machine will. And in doing so, have the safeguards built in as a QMS professional. That's basically something I'll be very focused on. There are some activities happening. I mean, we talked about the after wraps working group, but there's guidances from the FDA. European Union just released the AI Act, the draft of it. They're working on finalizing that. There are standards developed for risk management specifically in AI, but we're still not there. So this, in terms of having a harmonized framework of risk management, and part of this is what is risk, right? With medical devices, we're very focused on safety. But for example, the AI Act, speaking of AI, talks about environmental harms. It also talks about, I say environmental harms because these machine learning models have huge carbon emissions yeah. to run. But they also talk about impact on fundamental human rights. And so how are you going to assess that risk? And it is at this point, in lieu of a harmonized global framework to regulate the risks of AI, incumbent upon each and every one of us working with AI-enabled devices and platform to be aware of that. These technologies are powerful, which means they can powerfully do good, but also powerfully do harm. Yeah. I want to maybe ask one more question, a pretty specific question in the realm of quality management system. Considering that is your, you have a very strong focus and you're getting involved with the AFTO wraps, which speaking of which we'll try to put a, uh, a link to, to that group so that people can find that. But my question is, if I have a, if I, as a medical device professional am working in my QMS, what are some things maybe I should think about if I'm going to develop an SOP, for example, on the procurement of an AI tool for maybe I want an AI tool that helps me with evaluate tolerance stackups and determine which parts should be minimized, increase or decrease, maybe we have an inject. And so my tolerance stackup tells me, you know what, you ought to reduce this one because you can change the tolerance and just rapidly go through what a, a typical engineer might have to do when he's iterating on a design. What, are there any things you would recommend that I... As I'm writing out my SOP, some of the risks or some of the evaluation things that I need to be putting, like actual tactical pieces of advice there. Yeah, so there's the classic recommendations for validation of software tools that apply to non-AI tools as well. Basically, you need to have validation and uh, if it is a physical device, things like IQ, OQ, PQ in place. However, what is different about AI is software is deterministic in nature 
at, at, its, at its core, you're talking about algorithms being executed in ways that we expect. And so the failures or the successes are all deterministic and validation is pretty straightforward there. AI is not. AI is statistical. And in fact, with how large the AI models and databases are growing, while we know the technology under AI and how it works, we actually cannot quite, uh, nobody can predict the outcome of AI given new data. So given that uncertainty, there is an uncertainty built into the validation process. I would actually encourage that you do a staged adoption in which the reliance on AI is slowly increased in order to build confidence. It is initially just a suggestion. You're still going through your standard human-based processes, but then you're comparing the two and then integrate it as a tool, the output of which is actually 100% of the time reviewed by humans, then maybe instead of a 100% inspection, you start sampling in phase three. And then at some point, you've built enough confidence that this model with this training does do the task I want it to do reliably. At that point, you can actually build it completely and maybe autonomously into your process. I think that's good advice. I like the staged approach. All right. I've already asked you for your last thoughts. So uh, I'm gonna, I guess I'll just ask you your last thoughts. Any last piece of advice? Uh, and if not, uh, no worries either way. No, just if you're in Anaheim, first week of February, come out and see us. I'll be uh, presenting along with Etienne on, on AI and look forward to seeing everyone there. Awesome. All right, everybody, you've been listening to the Global Medical podcast. We hope to see you at one of our shows this year. If you're able to come to the True Quality Roadshow, MDNM West will be at several different shows. Look out. We'll try to we'll try to get an email out from all the different places we'll be and maybe you out and, and uh, touch base with us. But we'll put in the show notes how to get hold of Ashcon, how to get a hold of us, and some of the other resources that we mentioned. Thank you so much. We'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, can I ask a special favor from you? Can you leave us a review on iTunes? I know most of us have never done that before, but if you're listening on the phone, look at the iTunes app, scroll down to the bottom where it says leave a review. It's actually really easy. Same thing with the computer. Just look for that leave a review button. This helps others find us and it lets us know how we're doing. Also, I'd personally love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Reach out to me. I, I read and respond to every message because hearing your feedback is the only way I'm going to get better. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.